would say um, sixth grade, after we'd been hanging out for a long amount of time, he started going to youth group here. And about around, a little bit before Christmas time, um, he invited me to an event at Robert and Rachel's parents' house that they were having, and we were all hanging out. And he introduced me to a bunch of people, and Robert and Rachel, I was like, I guess I'll stick around and see how this goes. And I was just started coming on Wednesday nights and enjoying it, and people were loving on me, and Michael was loving on me, and just showing me how different it seemed, how different it all was, just to be in that group of people. I just felt accepted and loved on in just a time in middle school where everything was just unsure and different. It was really, really great to have that group that he invited me to. And it leaded into going to church on Sunday mornings. They invited me to. Um, and just slowly, I plugged myself in here just because of him inviting me that one, um, that one Wednesday night. Honestly, back then, it was just me inviting him because I didn't have anyone else. And Evan was already just a really good friend and we had known each other so long, so I wanted him to be able to enjoy youth group with me. Well, Michael uh, was just really like a leader, someone I, I could look up to that was kind of my age, someone I could like follow and want to be like almost like in his relationship with Jesus. He was like, he would raise his hands and I'd want to raise my hands and I didn't really completely understand it at the time, but he just slowly taught me like loving other people and more about who Jesus was just through his actions and it just slowly more for me to be, want to uh, follow that a lot more and be more like him. And now it's become more of a brotherly relationship and just me following him and it's been really cool to see. Oh, well, over the years, it's definitely grown from me mentoring on Evan to us becoming brothers. And that's been a really cool thing, just to have him around for um, uh, accountability partners, just someone I know I can talk to and someone who I know um, shares faith in Christ with me. Having him along the journey has been so helpful for me, too. Watching Evan and Michael just grow up together and establish this bond and letting Evan find a best friend, a mentor, somebody to guide him, it was just, it was incredible. It kind of led me and Barbara to our friendship. You know, I mean, when you have two kids that are wanting to get together all the time, kind of want to find out what's going on in their family and everything else. And Barbara and I were just, we hit it off too. It was a lot the same way. I mean, those guys liked each other and Barbara and I liked each other. It was a friendship. It was a friendship without, where Jesus was present, but maybe not with my knowing. He was there, but in, in my walk. Morning, church. I'll tell you what, after, after worship and after that testimony of we're not ready to hear from God's word. I don't. I don't know what's going to get you ready. Amen. I, I came out here this morning to preach, and I got all these emotions in my head right now because I, I've known these guys that led worship for like 15 years, and some of them were kids when I first met them. Now they're here, like leading us in worship and. And loving God and loving people, and it's so amazing to watch. And then I, 
look up there and see the Amons and the Howells, and I know their whole story and and how Michael and Evan became friends, and and Michael led led Evan to, to to a relationship with Jesus and to church, and then because of that. Evan's mother, Kelly, and Barbara became friends, and because of that, Barbara has now led Kelly to Christ, and then their little sister's sitting there, Kelsey, and now she's involved in the church, and she's on her spiritual journey, and it's this, it's this amazing picture of what we're about to talk about this morning, of this idea of friends and family. Here's the thing I want us to understand this morning. The closer we are to a person means there's more potential for conflict. And like Pastor Keith said, we're going to look at these concentric circles and go out farther. And, and, and we're going to talk about how do we reach those kind of people for Jesus as, as the next couple weeks. First, we're going to start with friends and family. Then we're going to go out to kind of our colleagues and those people we go to school with. Those people we might see every day but we're not intimately close with. And then we got strangers and, and those people that we may just bump into every now and then. And each one of those have different set of challenges. But the challenge of those that are friends and family is that they're the most closely connected to our lives. We get the most intimate with those set of people. And because we get the most intimate with those set of people, the most conflict comes out of that intimate relationship with those people. And the reason why we put friends and family together at one time, we were going to do two separate messages. We we're going to do friends and we we're going to do family. But then we, we thought about it a little more strategically. And how many of you guys have friends in here that are almost or maybe even closer to you than your family? Amen. I do too. Like I have friends that I, I, my, my two best friends in the entire world, Tito Miguel Shumate Colomanos Rodriguez and William Jabbar Malachi, my two favorite, most important friends in my entire life. We met in the second grade. I cut in line at lunch to take the last chocolate milk and met this guy named Tito because he pushed me out of line. And we've been best friends ever since because that's how guys do it. We get into a fight, we punch each other, we're like, oh, we're best friends now. And then this other guy, Jabbar, I met him in the second grade. We played baseball together. We were playing uh, tag, and, and there was this creek that we would always jump in and play in and, and catch little crawfish in. And one time we were playing, we were playing tag, and, and we, were, we were not it. We were running from the person that was it. And Jabbar ran, and he jumped on this, this tire that was in the middle of the creek, and he slipped, and he fell into the tire, and he was kind of stuck there like a turtle. And I had a decision to make. I was like, do I want to get caught or do I want to save this kid's life? It was hard. When you're, when, when you're in second grade, that's a hard decision to make. You're like, man, I don't want to get, I don't want to be it. I don't want to catch cooties, but I, I don't want this guy to die either. Like, he wasn't going to die. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I did walk over, and I picked him up, and I, I helped him out. He's my best friend. These two guys, I love them more than life itself. There's not much I wouldn't do for these guys. They're closer to me than my family at, at points in my lifetime. And I can tell you, though, to reach these two guys for Christ is two of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Because of the intimate relationship. And here's the thing. They know about us as well, right? Like our family and our friends, they know the dark side of our lives as well, right? 
Like there are friends and family that you guys know that know secrets about you that you don't want posted on Twitter. Right? Don't act like I'm the only one that's got skeletons in the closet that I want my friends telling anybody about. So they know me intimately. I know them intimately. It's this trip. This is this tricky thing that we have to navigate when it comes to sharing our faith with these people. But we love them so much that we should be sharing our faith with these people. And so we want to talk about that a little bit this morning. And we want to, we want to talk about how practically does that work and, and why is it hard for us to do that? And you see, they know us so intimately, but they also have this personal, like, almost that it's so close that we, we risk pushing them away, but we also don't want them to, to fall away. And so it's this tricky thing that we have to navigate. Well, I, the best way I could explain it is kind of like, how many guys have ever seen Gilligan's Island? You show your age, go ahead. Y'all under 30, Google it. It's funny. It's hilarious. You don't want to Google like the first two seasons. It's in black and white. You'll be hitting your phone like, what's wrong with my phone? There's no color. It's kind of like that stop sign we have in the parking lot. Have you seen the stop sign we have in the parking lot? It trips me out every time I go out there because I'm like, did the color just go out of the world? Like that stop sign is great. Trust me. You'll see it every time now. I promise. But Gilligan's Island, the first couple seasons were in black and white. But it's hilarious stuff. And it was about these people, the, the Skipper and Gilligan and Ginger and Marianne and the Howes. And they go on what? A three-hour tour, right? They get on this boat, and they're supposed to be gone on, like, this little three-hour tour. And instead, this storm comes, and it wrecks their boat, and they get stuck on an island out in the middle of nowhere. And then they made, like, six or seven seasons of this show about these poor people who couldn't get off this island. It was like Cast Away with Tom Hanks, but with words. You know what I'm saying? And more people. And so they get stuck on this island, and, and it's about their, how they interact with each other and, and, and how they navigate the trickiness of close-quartered of, of combat and close-quartered relationship. And so it's this amazing just study of humanity. And so I, I, I picture that as how we navigate our friends and our family when it comes to introducing them to Jesus. Because what happens a lot of times is we get in this intimate relationship with our friends and our family, and then we, we, we start to cross that bridge to talk about, there's things you don't talk about, right? You don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, right? But the, most, the, the, the problem with that is this, politics, I could, I could do without those, like throw those in the garbage, I'm okay with that. The other one, though, is the most important conversation we'll ever have. If we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if we truly believe that there's, th that there's this thing called eternal life, that after we die, that we're going to either live forever or be cast off forever, if that is what it's, the truth is, if that's the truth, that is the most important conversation we will ever have with an individual. But we still got to navigate. The tricky waters and the storm that's going to come because what happens is we introduce this idea of religion and we introduce this idea of Jesus. We introduce this idea of a relationship with Christ. And then all of a sudden it gets really rocky and stormy in our relationship with, with lost loved ones and lost family and lost friends. And then it seems like we get lost for a while and we get stranded on this island all alone because they don't believe the way we believe. 
Chris and I, one time, we took a, a boat trip in San Francisco when we lived out in the bay. And I can, I can, I can really relate to Gilligan's Island at this point because I, we took this boat trip. And if you've ever been out to San Francisco and, and, and the bay, you know they have these, these boat tours that go out. And they go out and around Alcatraz. And they go underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. And they come back. And it's, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And, and we went out one day with, with some friends of ours. And... Kristen was like eight months pregnant, and it was me and her and our, our pastor friend and his wife and their two kids. And we're like, man, let's take a tour. It'll be a lot of fun. And so, but my wife is Dutch, which just translates cheap. You, you know, some of y'all understand. And her parents are going to be here too, and they're Dutch. They'll be in the second service, and they're cheaper. Don't tell them I said that. But... I remember we, the one trip was like 40 bucks a person, and she was like, can't we do better? And so we, we went to this other place, and it's $25 a person. Can we do better? We found this one guy who had like a handwritten sign. He was holding it up. He's like, I'll take you for $10. And we got on that boat. And we got on that boat, and he took us out. We went, uh, under, we went by Alcatraz, and we drove around a couple times. It was so awesome. It was so much fun. And then all of a sudden, we went out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. And once you go out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, you're no longer in the bay. You now are in the ocean. And you have no idea how quickly it changes when you leave the bay to the ocean. And we did not know, but two days prior, they had an earthquake out in the middle of the ocean. And the waves were starting to come in and get really big. And this, this was one of them boats that all it had was the, the cabin, which the, the captain stood, stood in and drove the boat. We were all out on the deck, and all of a sudden, these, these waves started coming up over top of the boat. And, and I'm like, what in the world is going on right now? And all I could think about was Gilligan's Island. We're going to be lost at sea right now. And so I grabbed Kristen, I'm like holding on to one of those those things they tie the rope on. I don't even know what those things are called, the big hook. I'm holding on to that, and I'm like, Jesus, just get us home. Just get us home. And I'm looking at the captain, and he's going. <laughs> like, he does this all the time. Like, let me take you on this three-hour tour every time for 10 bucks. And so we're, like, going sideways like this, and, and he's still smiling. Then he'd fall back down. Finally, we get back, and we get off, and I kiss the ground. I'm like, I'm never leaving solid ground again. And we hear later on from another boat driver that that guy that we took has been towed in by the, by the National Guard at least a half a dozen times in the last couple months because he can't drive. <laughs> we're like, wow. But that is what it's like to try to reach your friends and family for Jesus. It starts out really cool and really calm. And then you'll say the wrong thing, Right? And it gets really choppy and really rough. And sometimes you don't even know if you're going to make it out as still friends or family. And then you get to this point where you just go, I quit. I'm not going back out there again. And I got back on solid ground. I was like, I'm not going back out there again. And we get to where we want to love on our friends and our family. And we're like, I don't want to risk this relationship being fractured. I'm not going there again. So I want to give you a few things that we can see in another storm 
that happens in Matthew 18, and it's a storm we all, uh, if you've been around church before, you've heard it. It's that moment where, where, where Jesus sends the disciples out on, on, on the sea, and he stays back and he prays, and he walks on water, and then another guy walks on water because there's this storm that's happening. I want to read that for us. Listen to this. In Matthew 14, it's going to come up on the screen. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by, by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus walked out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I always see that and I just go, really? Yeah, I would be too. That guy is walking on water. Is it a ghost, they said? And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28 says, the Lord, if that's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were on the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, I think there are a few principles we can apply to our own life and our own walk when it, when it has to deal with our friends and our family and how do we reach them for Christ? How do we navigate this trickiness of this relationship that is very intimate and very close, which in, in return creates more conflict, but it's this storm, but it's the most important thing you'll ever do. So how do we navigate those waters? I, I, I look at these scriptures in Matthew and, and I, got, I come out with a few things. I want you to hear those this morning. And the first one is this. Retreat to pray. Guys, we got to do this ahead of time. Too many, too many times in our life, prayer is the second thought. Prayer is the thing we do when we have to hit the emergency button. My grandmother's sick, so I have to pray that she gets healthy. My finances are all are bad. My, my electric's about to get shut out, so I have to pray. If something happened, we, we see a tragedy somewhere in the world, so we have to pray. If you're on social media, you see it all the time. Something happened in the world, and all of a sudden people change their Facebook profile picture. They, they go on a rant about it, and then, and then three days later it's forgotten about, and then we go back to normal business. If we would be a people of prayer ahead of time, it would change the world. And if we do the things that Jesus did, guess what? It changes the world. And if you look at Jesus' life, he often got a way to pray before something big happened. It wasn't like in the middle of it, all of a sudden Jesus steps out on the water and he sees Peter sink and he sees the disciples out on the boat about to sink and then he starts to pray. No, Jesus, the Son of God, knew how important it was to be covered in prayer ahead of time. 
When you're dealing with something as tricky as a relationship that is as intimate as friends and family, church, we have to be prayed up ahead of time. So my question is, how often do we pray ahead of time for our friends and family? You know you're going to bump into them at a wedding. You know you're going to bump into them at a, at a funeral. You know you're going to bump into them at, at Christmas, at Thanksgiving. You know you're going to bump into them at the family reunion. Some of y'all are like, I bump into them way too much. So guess what? Pray every day. But make sure you are prayed up beforehand, before you get into that tricky situation, before you get in the midst of the storm, get away and pray. There's something powerful about just saying, man, I can't do this on my own. I have to step away for a second and pray. Because that's what Jesus did in verse 23. It says that he got away after he told him to go out into the sea, after he had just spent time uh, uh, preaching and teaching, he sent him out onto the sea and he got away and said, guess what? I have to recharge because something else big is going to come up again. And he got away and he prayed. Then in verse 24, the second thing I see in these set of scriptures is you have to face the reality that the storm is real. You have to face the reality that the storm is real. We often say, we often say this phrase, the struggle is real. Right? You guys ever heard that? Like that's a big one right now. Hashtag the struggle is real. But we have to face the reality that the storm is real. And in verse 24, it says, the Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Listen to me. You have friends and you have family that even though you look at them, and it's easy for us to sit outside of their circumstance and look at them and go, why can't they just get it? It's easy for us to sit outside of whatever's going on in their life, sit outside of their storm. It's easy for us to be on land while they're out in the midst of the storm on the water and go, why can't they get it right? This is the fifth time I've told them that that's not a great way to live life. But we have to come to the realization that the storm is real. No matter what our perception is, no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what our reality is, their storm is real. And the storm that they're going to face even after this life is more real than that. And so we have to get into this place where we know that what they're going through is actually real. And you have to show a little compassion. Then you go on to verse 27. You have to address your fear. You have to address your fear. In verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. Do you know the phrase, do not be afraid or fear not? is used more often in the entire Bible than any other phrase, anytime, anywhere else. Jesus knows that we are a people that are easily scared, especially in our context in America. 
Because we love to be comfortable, right? Like we love to have cushy, cushy seats and air conditioning. And, and, and we love to have things that are nice. And we love to, to know that we're safe. But God knows that we have to sometimes address our own fears. And it's hard in that relationship, in that intimacy between you and your family and friends to go, I have a fear of blank. I know for me, a lot of times, my, my greatest fear with dealing with my friends and my family is I have a fear that I'm going to lose them. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to turn them off. I don't want them to move on to something else. I don't want to have to not talk to them for many years because I just breached a subject that I think is the most important thing that, they've, that they'll ever hear. But to them, they're not ready yet. So you have to at some point before going to address them, you have to pray up. You have to realize that the storm is real and you have to face your own fear. And if you move on, then we get into, that's the things that we deal with. And then there's some other things that only come from God. And this is the first, or this, no, this is the last one that we deal with. Verse 28, it says this, after we face our fear, after we're prayed up, after we realize the storm is real, we have to call out to God. And it says that Peter called out to God after he said, do not be afraid that it's me. It, Peter says, Lord, if that's actually you, call me out onto the water. My question about this is this. What are you calling out to God about for your friends and family? What are you saying and speaking into agreement with God? Not that you have the power. God has the power. But what are you speaking into agreement with God about your friends and family? I know for me personally, I've gotten to places at times where I'm like, man, I don't want to speak anything else because I'm so tired of being let down. I'm so tired of it not working. I'm so tired of it being fractured. I'm just going to be surface because then at least we're happy and talking to each other. But at those times, I know I have to intentionally speak things out to God. Like, I want my friend to be broken when it comes to addiction. I want my family to get drugs and alcohol out of their life. I speak those things to God because I'm in agreement with him because I love I loved them. And he loves them. So what are you speaking into this world in agreement to God with your family? Because see, some of us are speaking into the world death and not life. Because we're so frustrated. We're like, oh, I, they, they just, they're never going to get it. We're speaking that into agreement. We're speaking, they, 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 they just don't understand. They'll never understand. Some of us even say things like, well, they're just stupid. It's not worth my time. It always ends in pain. Start speaking life into your friends and family. Because it's when we speak out to God, and Peter spoke out to God and said, God, call me out onto the water. It's not until he spoke out to God that Jesus says what? Come. 
And that's the next one. This is the only, this is the thing that you can only get from God. The next one is we have to wait for God to speak. <laughs> you see, we pray up. We get ready. We, stress our, we address our fears. We speak these things into existence. But there's still a moment where we have to wait for God to speak. See, we do all those things and we get ready. It's kind of like a championship fight. And then you get, to the, you get to the family reunion, you get to the funeral, you get to the wedding, and you're loaded up with all this good stuff you're about to hit your friends and family with. You done studied the scriptures. You got 10, you're going you're gonna to quote to them. And God's like, they're not ready. And yet you still unload on them like, ooh, I'm just hitting them with all this good stuff. And then we wonder why they just go, no, nah, I don't want it. It wasn't until Peter got the come that he could actually walk on the water. See, we often say that only one man ever walked on water. That's an absolute lie. Two men walked on the water, Jesus and Peter. But Peter could only do it because he got the come on. You want to see your friends and family come to know Jesus? Pray up. Get ready. Be prepared. Address your fears. But wait for Jesus to speak. And when he does, then you step into the storm with confidence. Because it's still going to be rocky. It's still going to, it's still going to be this challenge. It's still going to be tricky. There's still this intimacy that, that can create conflict. But you have to step into that storm with confidence because Jesus gave you the come. It says that Peter then gets down out of the boat. I think sometimes we read this scripture and we kind of picture Peter kind of just getting into the water like, But I don't think that's the way he did it all. I think as soon as Jesus said, come, Peter got down out of that boat. And he stepped into that water with confidence. Because Jesus said, come. So when you get to that moment where you're prayed up, you're ready, you address your fears, you hear Jesus say, this is the time. You step into that water with confidence. A lot of us hear this quote that gets accredited to St. Francis of Assisi a lot of times, and it says, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. There's two problems with that thing. One, it's a cop-out. It's us saying, well, I'm just going to live my life, and maybe by osmosis, my family is going to catch this Jesus thing. That's a problem. Two, St. Francis of Assisi never said that. It's a fake quote. We've been quoting it in the church for many, many years. But, but, but those people, that, those scholars who have studied everything that St. Francis of Assisi has ever written and said, all the letters he addressed to his disciples, all the letters he addressed to the church, never once did he say a quote like that. St. Francis of Assisi was actually more like Billy Graham. He was actually more like Billy Sunday. He was actually more like George Whitfield. He was a proud preacher who preached everywhere he went. So to him, it wasn't just about living your life for Christ. It was also about eventually you got to say the words. So when Jesus says, come, you got to step into that storm with confidence and share your faith with somebody. Your family and friends are not going to catch it by osmosis. It's not something that rubs off. Now, yeah, you have to be 
faithful. You have to be obedient. You have to live your life in such a way that people see you and get interested. But once they're interested, it's time to tell them about your Jesus. And the last thing is this. Don't waver your focus from Jesus to the issues. See, because once you step into that storm, it's going to be really easy for you to start focusing on the issues. It's going to be real easy for you to start to focus on the bad things about your family, the bad things about your friends, the bad things about your own shortcomings, your own life. You're going to think, I don't have it all together. I don't remember all the scriptures. They know exactly when I failed. Remember the last time I was at the family reunion and I cussed everybody out? They're going to remember that. And you're going to start to think of those things instead of focusing on Jesus and the fact that he's the one who makes this whole thing happen. That's why in 1 Corinthians, it says this. Check this, check this verse out. Listen. It says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Verse 7 says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You step into the storm with confidence. And then you don't take your eyes off the fact that Jesus is the one who makes it grow. Some of you guys are going to water. Some of you guys are going to, uh, some of you guys are going to plant. Some of you are going to water. But none of us are going to make it grow. That's the, that, that, that thought alone changed my entire outlook on evangelism people often ask me well how how come you're just oh you're just gifted at it that's what they say to me all the time you're just gifted at it. no 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 i'm not i really am not there are days when i i know the holy spirit speaks to me and said go talk to that person and i'm like i don't think that was the holy spirit that was the pizza i ate like there are days i'm just being honest with you there are days when i see people and i know for a fact god says speak to this person i'm like i'm not speaking to them they are scary my sister Julie, I love her with everything that's in my heart. She's scary. She beat me up a few times when I was a kid. And God's like, you need, to, you need to tell her you're praying for her. I'm like, I don't know, Jesus. But there's this moment when you have to realize it changed my life when I, when I realized this. It's not up to me. All I got to do is water and plant, water and plant, water and plant. There's a study out there that says... Most people are, are the average person that takes 26 touches of the gospel before they accept Christ. You may be touch number one. You may be touch number 25. You may be touch 26 where they finally go, you know what? I'm ready. But here's my challenge. I got two things this morning. This is it. First one is this. What are you calling out to God for, for your friends and family? What is it that you want to speak into life? What is it you want to speak into existence? What is it that you want to agree with God on when it comes to the people in your life, those friends and family, those ones that are closely more intimate with you than anybody else in your life? What is it that you want to speak into agreeance with God about? 
Because this morning, if you want to do that, I want you to come forward and I want you to speak those things into existence with God. Agree with God that this is what I want to happen in the lives of my friends and my family. And the other one is this. Some of us in here just need to flat out, plain and simple, repent. I know for me, that's where I was at when I started this message. This is one of those messages that God spoke to me about. Because I'm not, I'm not good at this. I have no problem speaking to the stranger that I just met at the restaurant. I have no problem speaking to the person I just met at Walmart. If I see somebody on the side of the road, I'll stop and pray with them. But I've always had an issue with those people that are closest to me with sharing the gospel. And as I was writing this and as I was studying this and as God was giving this message to me, I had to stop and just say, God, I'm sorry. Because I've been awful at this. I've been a pastor now for 20 years. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I've never once shared the gospel with my sisters. Not once. And I was convicted on that. And I just look in that camera right there and say, Julian, Darlene, I'm sorry. I got to do better. And some of us just need to flat out repent. That we've come to the place where we just gave up. And we have to allow God to remake that desire in our lives to reach those people who are most closely related and most closely intimate to us in our lives. And then plant and water, plant and water, plant and water, and watch God bring the increase. Because, guys, it is that important. I'm going to pray, and the the band is going to play us a song. And I just invite any of us here who want to either speak into agreement with God, something positive about your friends and your family, or you want to just come up here and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to overcome this. Help me to step back into the game. Help me to look at my friends and family as people that you love and people that I love. And help me to be obedient and ready to plant and water and plant and water whenever you call me to do so. And let's, let's, let, let's watch God make it grow. Let's pray, church. Will you stand with me? Father God, I thank, thank you for this time. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're a God of second and third and 77th chances. Well, I pray if there's anybody here, any among us that today would say, man, I just, I want to agree with God today. I want to agree with you today, God, that I want to speak life into the life of my friends and family. 
I want to speak hope into the lives of my friends and my family. I want to speak love into the lives of my friends and my family. If there's any here with us today who just want to repent, just want to say, God, I'm so sorry. I gave up. You gave me the opportunity, and I blew it. You gave me the opportunity, and I missed it. I want to repent that, that, that these people mean more to me than I can express. But, Father God, I need you to help me again. Father, if there's any of us like that today, I just pray that we would come and lay those things at your feet this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.